is one of those weekends. And there are, are so many things that I love about Living Water Community Church. Uh, I couldn't name them all in the limited amount of time that we have here today. So I would just like to list one. And that one thing is, is that we are a gospel-centered church. Everything we do revolves around this thing that we are enamored with, and it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what that means is every sermon, we do what one preacher said, is we make a beeline to the cross. And, and that cross, that connection there, the gospel tie-in, will usually come at the end of the sermon, sometimes in the middle. Well, today, it's going to come up front. Because what we're going to talk about today was we talk about the sanctity of life and defending life, and, and we use the word abortion uh, the stats tell us that you cannot get this many people together uh, online here in this room where uh, somebody has not been affected by that term, and that may elicit some emotional feelings because perhaps there are people, I mean, I think the stats would declare to us that there are people watching at home right now uh, who have had an abortion. Uh, perhaps some have, have uh, pressured somebody into having one. Maybe uh, you have done what I have done, which is transport somebody to an abortion clinic. Back in college, I had a good friend named Siobhan, and I drove her uh, to and from an abortion clinic, and uh, she was never the same afterwards. And the name Siobhan actually means something. It means the Lord is gracious. And that's what I want to talk about right here at the outset. I want to talk about the grace of God. Okay? You don't need to hear from me at this point. You need to hear from God directly. What does he say in his word? He's, he tells the Christian, if you are in Christ, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what's true about you. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, he has separated our sins from us. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. There is no one like our God who delights in mercy, who has compassion on us, who casts all our sins into the depths of the sea, and he remembers them no more. That is true for you if you are in Christ. And I need you to know that. I need you to believe that as we go forward here today. Jesus Christ stands ready today to forgive anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith. Because the reality is, the only prerequisite that you need to come to Jesus, two things really need to be true. You got to have a pulse and you got to be a guilty sinner. You got to have sin in your life and breath in your lungs. If, if you do, you qualify for God's redemption plan. So you need to know if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. You are no longer condemned. Why? Because Jesus Christ took your condemnation. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We need to believe this here today. So my intent, my hope here, I'm not going to beat you up today. You know why? Because Jesus was beat up for you. But at the same time, I'm not going to soften my words. I'm going to speak as though the scriptures speak. And sometimes the scriptures just come a little blunt they come a little hard upon us, and, and this is a, a serious issue. I, I will discuss the serious nature of this particular sin. All sin is heinous, but I'm not going to water down the word of God. I will speak plainly to you, and it may be painful to hear, but my intent is not to hurt, but to help, to help us realize what is going on in our world every single day and how much we need Jesus. We need Jesus. You at home, you need Jesus. They out there, the world, they need Jesus. We all need Jesus. He is the solution to that which ails us, both as individuals and as a nation. So before we go any further, I would like to pray. Lord, I pray 
for all of us in this place and at home. For your grace upon us. Lord, we are an unworthy people. Yet, God, you have adopted us into your family as sons and daughters. Forgiven. Washed clean. Made new. We've been redeemed by your loving kindness. Please remind us of that truth especially with this heavy, sensitive topic that is before us today. Lord, help me to find the right balance, to be truthful and honest, yet gracious and loving. Lord, I don't possess the eloquence of Pastor Ben. I don't have the sensitivity of Pastor Mike. As I often say, I'm not fit to carry their Bibles. But I ask that you give me your strength and your words to convey your truth to your people. Please help us. I ask all these things in the risen name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take that out, even at home. If you have a Bible, we will put the verses up on the screen, but I I want us to go to Proverbs chapter 31. And as tradition, we usually stand when we read the Word of God. So even at home, I would encourage you to to stand up as we hear from the Lord. Give you a minute to turn there. Proverbs 31, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. The Word of God says this. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Thank you. You may be seated. So to be sure, there, there is definitely a broader application in those verses that I just read. But today, I want to zero in. I want to uh, tighten our focus and narrow our focus and apply those verses to one issue and one issue in particular. And the issue is this, the unlawful taking of an innocent human life in the womb. The two verses that I read from Proverbs, they convey a very simple truth. It's not complicated. It's not hard. Uh, The ESV renders it uh, as open your mouth. Both verses 8 and 9 begin with those three words, open your mouth, okay? And open your mouth for whom? Who, Who are we to speak up for? Well, it says the mute. That would be people who cannot speak for themselves. The destitute, the needy. Open your mouth, speak up and judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. See, the womb, a mother's womb, should be the safest place on the planet for an unborn baby. But the reality is it's actually one of the most dangerous places on the planet to be. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. They cannot speak, they cannot scream. Utterly defenseless. And the numbers here uh, are staggering. I'm operating from the the presupposition that you're aware of the millions upon millions of lives that have been taken in the womb. I'm not here to argue numbers. I'm not even going to present those numbers. I'm operating under the assumption you already know. We're not going to labor the statistics that truly boggle the mind. But what the Bible says to us, the people of God, has a very clear command. Do not be silent on this issue. Open your mouth to speak up, to stand up and speak out and fight for the rights of the children. We're talking about life. So how do we do that? How do we do it? Do we just add our voices to the cacophony of noise that already exists on this issue? Right? Do, we, do we have a plan? Do we have a, a, an objective that we're trying to achieve? Have we studied? Do we know enough to speak intelligently on this issue? See, to enter the fray and defend life, what does that look like for us? And that's what I want to talk about. And the first point that I want to make is that if you do what those verses say, you will encounter resistance. 
there's going to be pushback. Opposition is coming your way if you are obedient to that command. And so what I want to do is I want to show a two and a half minute video here shortly and il that illustrates that very point. I will tell you this, the video does not have any up-close pictures of aborted babies, okay? It does not have any uh, profanity that's not already been beeped out, yet the video is graphic. So I, I, I give a, a word of caution uh, to the parents out there, children who may be watching. Uh, parents, you'll need to, to, to be wise here, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the opposition that comes our way uh, in this pro-life, pro-choice debate. And while you're considering that, I'd like to share with you uh, a brief story. Some of you know this story, but some of you don't, and you may not know the full extent of the story. It's about a little boy, 14-year-old boy named Emmett Till. Emmett Till was a, a young black boy living in Chicago, and he had family in Mississippi. And he, would, uh, he made the trip to go visit them. Uh, his uncle was there. He had some cousins. And Emmett would um, spend some time with his cousins in Mississippi. And one day they went into the corner store, uh, Bryant's grocery store to be specific. And Emmett bought a pack of gum. And he, he said something, he did something that was mildly flirtatious to the clerk that was working there. The accounts vary as to what happened in this store. But he, he purchased this gum from a 21-year-old white woman who happened to be the wife of the store owner. And he said something like, hey, thanks, babe, something to that effect. And so they leave the store, and a few days later, at Emmett's uncle's house, in the middle of the night, that woman's husband and a friend of his invade that home, abduct Emmett, pull him out of that house, and savagely beat him. Beat him beyond recognition. And then they, they cap it all off with a single bullet to the head. And they murdered a little 14-year-old boy. Then, to make matters worse, they took a, a cotton gin fan and they tied it to his head with barbed wire and dumped his body into the Tallahatchie River. A few days later, the body emerges, all bloated and disgusting, frankly, and they send Emmett's body back to his mother in Chicago, Mammy Till. And I, I lack the words to convey what must have gone through the heart and mind of Mammy Till as she looked at her little boy. I, I'm not even going to attempt to describe it, the pain, the agony. I'm a parent. I'm a dad. I got a 14-year-old. I couldn't imagine. And she says, we're going to have a funeral for my boy, and it's going to be an open casket funeral. And people went nuts. They said, you can't do that. You're crazy. You will upset people. They won't like it. You can't show them that. And she said this. She said, I agree with you. You're right. They won't like it. They won't like it, and it will upset people. And she uttered these famous words. She goes, I want everyone to know what they did to my little boy. And so they did it. They had the funeral. It was an open casket funeral. They took a picture of Emmett's body in that casket. You can see it online. I caution you, be careful, okay? I'm not going to show it on the screen. I've seen it. And if you have any sort of appetite right now, you won't any longer. Some of you will, will cry. Some, frankly, you might vomit. It is a horrific thing. And what they did is they took a picture of his body in that casket. And that picture made its way into Jet Magazine. And three months later, there was a young woman in Montgomery, Alabama, who was on a bus. And her name was Rosa Parks. And they told her, get to the back of the bus. And she refused. You know the story. And they asked her, they said afterwards, well, what gave you the courage to do that? What was the motivation? That took tremendous courage to do that. Where did it come from? 
And she said, it was the image of that little boy. I couldn't get it out of my mind. It angered me. It upset me. It frightened me. And I said, no more. I'm going to do something about it. And she did what she did, and it kicks off the, the civil rights movement. That's the story of Emmett Till. And my friends, we need to open the casket on abortion. We have to look at it. See, until we recognize what's going on around us, we will continue to tolerate an injustice that we never have to look at. So this video that you're about to see, you will see extreme animosity, no question. And this kind of pushback may be what you receive if you open your mouth, as Proverbs say. Let's go ahead and run the video. We need to stop being middle-class American sissies. And we need to be willing to fight faithfully with the gospel. You know, in Waco, Texas, you know, our abortion mill, there was a, there was a school, Montessori school across the street, the abortion mill, and behind a daycare center. And everybody's driving down the street as this, this, this Norman Rockwell. So on one side we're educating them, the other side we're offing them, and then the other, and then behind them the kids are playing. And parents drive by. Like nothing's happening. Like this is normal. Are you kidding me? These scriptures apply to us. These, the word of God applies to us. Stand up and do something. It's a curse on this nation. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. I want to maintain the, the right to murder children. Yes, that's, that's correct. That's that is correct. correct. Yes. The right to murder children. Well, that's what you do to babies, huh? Yeah, I love it. You love it, huh? Yeah, I do. Okay, I hope that you come to Christ, sir. Oh, I never go to Christ. I hope that you come to Christ, No, sir. I don't go to Christ. Ma'am? Darkened heart, I do have a darkened yeah. heart. Yeah. You have a darkened heart. I do. I do very, very much. And so. you will stand yeah. before God in judgment. Yes, day I will. Day. Every day. But you're doing will stand before God and judge Yes, I will, every day. All of the babies that I you love have it. Failed. I love it. Yeah, keep tearing the babies yeah, apart. Yeah, I will. Keep tearing the babies I apart. I will. Keep, keep tearing what? the babies apart. Yeah. yeah, sir, the babies, their blood screams from the ground. Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. To be fair, that video paints pro-choice people in a very negative light. It does. I could have easily shown you a compilation of clips of pro-life people acting equally hateful. I could. We could talk about the bombings that take place in abortion clinics. We could talk about um, the, the murder of a man named George Tiller and others, there is enough hate to go around. Make no mistake about it. But like Emmett Till's battered body in that casket exposed the heinous nature of racial injustice, the purpose of the video is to likewise expose and awaken us to the plight of the unborn. And may we respond like Rosa Parks, in love and say to this issue, no more, no more. I will speak up. I will do something about this. So where do we begin? How do we start? Well, I think we start by clarifying the issue. 
The, the abortion issue, uh, in, a, in a certain sense, it's complicated, but in another sense, it's really not complicated at all. If, if you're a 15-year-old girl and you get pregnant and you get pressure from the boyfriend, the father, uh, you get pressure from the, your parents, you think, oh, my school, what, what does this mean for my future? That is complicated. But actually, the issue, in another sense, is very, very simple, and that is what I'm going to attempt to present to you today. The first thing we need to do is just clear away all the clutter and everything that distorts this issue. Okay, it can be simplified like this. We would simply state our position, and it's this. Abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. This distills the controversy into one question and one question only. What is the unborn? If it's life, you cannot kill it. If the unborn is a human being, killing him or her is wrong. But if the unborn is not a human life, you know what you can do? Whatever you want with it. It doesn't matter, okay? You could kill it for any reason you want, and you would need zero justification. I like what uh, Scott Klusendorf says on this. He's a pro-life advocate. He says, if the unborn are not living human beings, killing them would be no different than having a mole removed or a tooth pulled. See, the issue boils down to one question. What is in the womb? See, I can agree with the pro-choice crowd. I can. I think women should have a right to choose. I think, I think abortion is a, is, a, is a personal, private matter between a woman, her doctor, and her God. And pro-life people ought not insist or impose their views upon this woman. Christians need to keep their mouth shut on this and butt out. It's none of your business what a woman does with her body. I can agree with all of that. If. If what? If the unborn aren't living human beings. Remove all the moles you want. I, I, have, I have no right to impose my view on your mole removal decision. That is up to you. It's your right to choose. Have all your teeth pulled. You can gum your food, okay? I don't care. I should not speak on that matter. Nobody should. That is your decision to make. The issue comes down to that one question. What is in the womb? If it's a life, you cannot kill it. Greg Kokel, uh, a guy who's coming here, uh, Lord willing, April 4th, uh, he's a, a brilliant scholar, frankly. He speaks a lot on this issue. And he, he provided a really helpful illustration in his book, uh, Precious Unborn Human Persons. He says, I want you to imagine that you're home and you're at the sink and you're, you're doing dishes and uh, behind you comes your, your five-year-old. Five-year-old boy comes up behind you and says, Mom, Dad, can I kill this? Remember, your back is to them. What's the first question you're going to ask them? What is it? Is it a spider? Go ahead, smash it. Okay. Is it the neighbor's cat? Whoa, hold on. Is it your little sister? Stop, son, we need to talk. Okay. It all comes down to what is it? This very simple illustration communicates a common sense notion, and it's this. Before you know whether or not it's right to kill a living thing, you have to first know what it is that you're killing. The whole debate centers around one question. What is the unborn? But people will say, no one knows when life begins. Sure we do. It's in the womb. We know that. What's going on inside the womb? Growth, right? Is it growing? It's alive. It's as simple as that. That's why you got to get the abortion so early in the first trimester. The thing is growing and it's getting bigger and you got to deal with it. And dead things don't grow. But let's, let's accept the claim that we don't know when life begins. Let, let's just grant that premise. I like what Ronald Reagan had to say on this issue. Uh, Ronald Reagan, he was the president when I was coming up. 
I was learning about politics in school, and so he was the president in the mid-80s for like uh, eight years, I believe. And uh, I've always had a fondness for him. I do miss uh, President Reagan. But he had a lot of interesting things to say on the abortion issue. One quote that I will give you, he says, I happen to notice that everyone who is for abortion has already been born, which I think is an interesting quote. But in regards to the statement, we don't know when life begins, President Reagan said this. He said, imagine you're out hunting and you hear a rustling in the bushes, but you don't know if it's a deer or it's your hunting buddy. Are you going to shoot? Hope not, right? And this is where you can insert your own Dick Cheney joke, should you choose. I'm not going to do that. I see that as low-hanging fruit. But imagine you're, imagine you're driving down the road. Right? You're driving down the road, and you see what appears to be a coat laying in the middle of the road. It could be a coat, or it could be a, a man who had a little too much to drink and passed out in the middle of the street. Are you going to run it over? I hope not. Same thing. The we don't know when life begins is no excuse. But more than that, we do know when life begins. And we know from two sources. One, the Holy Bible. Two, the science of embryology. One, the trustworthy revelation from the one who created life. And then the empirical evidence that we discovered in the field of science. And before we get to those, those uh, two sources where we find our information, I'd like to present the pro-life argument and do that by using a syllogism. Don't let the word syllogism scare you. Uh, we all use syllogisms all the time. If you've had a parent or you are a parent, you've used a syllogism. It goes something like this. You say to your, your five-year-old, little Billy, here's the deal. Premise one. If you don't eat your dinner, you won't be getting any dessert. Premise two, you didn't eat your dinner. Therefore, conclusion, you won't be getting any dessert. Right? We've used these all the time. You just don't call it a syllogism to little Billy. That'd be kind of weird, I suppose. But here's the pro-life syllogism. Premise one, it is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Premise two, Abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. Therefore, conclusion, abortion is wrong. That is a solid argument. It is both sound and valid. Both premises are true, and therefore the conclusion necessarily follows. Now, we used to be able to say that people would readily accept premise one, which is it is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. That premise used to go unchallenged. Not today. Not today. Nowadays, you know what people say? Oh, I know it's a baby. It's alive. And I have the right to kill it. We heard it in the video. And we're going to see it later, too. That's where we're at as a society. This downward, downward spiral that we are on. A depraved descent, indeed. But sometimes people will say it's not a baby. It's just a clump of cells, or it's a blob of tissue. Well, if it is just a clump of cells, that is exactly what a mole is. A mole is just a clump of cells. Go ahead, take care of it. Do what you want with it. There's no protesters outside dermatologist clinics protesting your mole removal. Slice them all off. Go nuts with it. In that regard, you can do with your body whatever you want. But if there's life in the womb and you terminate it, that's the unlawful taking of an innocent human life. And the Bible calls that murder. Again, there's only one question that needs to be answered here. What is the unborn? Is it a clump of cells? Is it a blob of tissue? Or is it a baby? And here's where we present the facts of the matter. Greg Kokel, again, he has a tactic called just the facts, ma'am. And he just boils things down to, let's just present data, incontrovertible data. Like I said, we get our facts from two places, the Bible and science. And they back up and support one another. There's corroboration between the two. They sing this two-part harmony on the life issue. First, what does the Bible say? 
Well, if you have uh, been in church for any Sanctity of Life sermon, if you've studied the, the issue of, of life in the womb and, you've, and you're a Christian and you've heard a message, a sermon, a lesson as a kid, you've heard Psalm 139, the beautiful language that is, that is in there, right? That, that God formed our inward parts, knitting us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what that psalm teaches us. And another verse that, that is often quoted, very popular, is the first chapter of uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So let, let's turn to Jeremiah. I want to show you another verse that's later in Jeremiah. So if you're in Proverbs, you want to go forward in your Bible to the prophet Jeremiah. It's rather thick. You should be able to find it. But go to chapter 20. Okay, go to chapter 20 in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, known as, as the weeping prophet, he says in verse 17, What's going on here is he's, he's lamenting his life. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, boy, these guys had a commissioning that was just off the hook, crazy hard. And, and Jeremiah says this. He says, because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. He says the words, kill me in the womb. In order to be killed in the womb, there must be life in the womb. See, Jeremiah wasn't a potential life. He was not a blob of tissue. He's alive and growing and developing. He is a person. And this is the Bible's view of life in the womb. Let's keep going into the New Testament. Keep going forward in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 1. If you remember there, we have the account of John the Baptist. John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, her name was Elizabeth. And Elizabeth gets a visitation from Mary. And when Mary shows up, John, in the womb, leaps. Verse uh, 41, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Notice the word baby there. The baby is where? In the womb. Go to the next chapter, Luke chapter 2. Here we see the word baby used again. This is the famous Christmas story. This time, though in reference to Jesus, out of the womb. Luke 2, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Where? Wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, where? In the manger. The word baby there is brephos. Brephos. It's the same word used of John in chapter 1, in the womb, and it's the same word used of Jesus, out of the womb. Brephos in the womb, brephos out of the womb. The scriptures do not see the need to utilize two different terms. Why? Because it is the same in substance despite his or her location in the womb or out of the womb. The Bible makes no distinction. The life that exists in the womb and the life that exists in the crib, same. Just like it would be a heinous act to take the life of an eight-week-old baby in a crib, it is an equally heinous act to take the life of a baby who is eight weeks along in his or her mom's tummy. What does science have to say on this matter? When does life begin? This is, this is the field here of life in the womb of, of embryology, the study of embryos. And I'm just going to present to you a summary of what embryology teaches. Okay, there's much, there's whole big, long, fat textbooks that, that speak to this. I'm just going to tell you the, the highlights here. And it's this, that when a sperm successfully fertilizes an egg, a new cell called a zygote is generated. And that zygote represents the very first stage in the life of a human being. 
This life, if all goes well, it, 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 the, it goes through the series of embryology, the, the cycle, if you will, or um, moving from the embryonic stage and ultimately into a baby. And the science of embryology establishes that from the earliest stages of development, the unborn are distinct, living, and whole human beings. Let me break those down one by one. The unborn are distinct. They are separate from the mom with their own DNA, their own body. They develop their own arms, legs, fingers, toes, brain, nervous system, and heart. That's why we don't say that a mom who's pregnant has four legs, right? She, you know, she once had two, then she got pregnant, now she's got four legs. We never say that because the baby is separate from her distinct. The unborn are living. There's life in the womb. Again, the baby is growing. Only things that are alive can grow. The living child in the womb turns nutrients into energy through metabolism, and he or she can respond to stimuli. It's because the embryo is alive. The unborn are human, whole human beings. It is a he or a she genetic in nature. The embryo is the offspring of human parents, and humans produce humans after their own kind. You may have heard that. That's what God describes, because that's how God has set this up. And the embryo only needs the proper environment and nutrition to develop through the different stages of life as a member of the human species. These are the scientific facts of you and me. We were all once zygotes and embryos, just like we were all once infants and toddlers. We're just a lot bigger now. We've grown. So let me, let me deal with uh, two main objections. There's many, but there's two main objections that I'd like to deal with here this morning that will come against the pro-life perspective. Despite everything that I just laid out, people will say, my body my choice. A woman should have the right to choose. How do you respond to that? Let me, let me give you a little help with that. You need to ask them a question. Choose what? They need to finish that sentence. It'd be like me saying, I think a woman should be able to take. Like, are you going to finish that? Take what? Take a life? Is that what you're saying? Choose. Choose what? Choose death for your child? Is that what you mean? What are you saying exactly? You can't just say women should have the right to choose. Choose what? See, I believe, again, women should be able to make all kinds of choices. They should. They should be able to choose their own health care provider, their own school, husband, career. I'm pro-choice on all of those and a whole lot more. Live in the city, live in the burbs, you choose. Drive a car, drive a truck, you choose. Get married, stay single, you choose. Public school, private school, Republican, Democrat, Walmart, Target, McDonald's, Burger King, Pepsi, Coke, soup, salad, ranch, Thousand Island, you choose all of those. Yeah, I'm not against you choosing those, I'm rigorously pro-choice in my belief that women should have the right to choose. However, when it comes to taking the life of an innocent, distinct, living, whole human being in your tummy that is not part of your body, you don't get to choose to end that life. That's where the line is drawn. See, contrary to popular opinion, you can't do whatever you want with your body. I can't do whatever I want with my body. Back in college, I had a run-in with the law for public urination. I didn't hurt anybody. No one even saw me, not even the officer. But he suspected that I did it because there was some evidence left behind. I won't go into that. You draw the lines there. But he gave me a very firm warning. I didn't say, whoa, hey, what's up with the warning? I can do whatever I want with my body. 
Not according to that officer. You, you can't use your body to shoot heroin or smoke crack. The government tells all of us, men and women, that's illegal. Wait a minute, I want to shoot deadly poison into my veins. I have the right to do that because it's my body. No, you don't. The government is telling us all the time what we can and cannot do with our bodies. A prostitute and the person who solicits a prostitute, they're both committing what? A crime. You say, well, that's not right. You know, I, I think it, it shouldn't be that way. It's a mutual agreement. They both want sex for pay. It's a transaction that's happening, and they're both entering into it willingly. Can't they do what they want with their own bodies? No, it's illegal. The my body, my choice objection falls flat on its face. It's just not true. You know what else isn't true? Is when speaking about women's rights, they don't include all women. Often they are prejudiced against a particular group of women. You know what group this is? It's the little women in the womb. What about them? What about their rights? See, people assume that, that the unborn aren't precious human beings. They're not arguing for it. They're just assuming it. And we got to be mindful of this. I, I heard... Um, in a book called Case for Life by, by Scott Klusendorf. I pulled a lot of this stuff from him. If you are fascinated with, with understanding the life issue and how to stand up and defend life, Scott Klusendorf is your guy, okay? He, he is brilliant. He, he, he pulled from a, a very famous work called The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And, and you probably read this in school like I did. And I think it was chapter 32. I saw it in there. And and remember, if you remember the story, Huck is going to uh, meet up with Aunt Sally, but, but he's late. And so he has to explain his late arrival by boat. And he totally makes this up. He says, we blowed out a cylinder head. Aunt Sally responds, good gracious, anybody hurt? No, ma'am, says Huck. It just killed a, and he uses the N word. And Aunt Sally says, well, it's lucky because sometimes people do get hurt. What just happened there? They both assumed a black person is not one of us. Did they not? And is that not the argument on this issue? They're not one of us, therefore we can kill them. President Obama, on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, he said this, Today, as we reflect on the 41st anniversary of the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade, we re recommit ourselves to the decision's guiding principle that every woman should be able to make her own choices about her body and her health. Every woman, Mr. President? Are you including the unborn in that? He continues, because this is a country where everyone deserves the same freedom and opportunities to fulfill their dreams. Everyone, Mr. President, are you including life in the womb? What about those women? Do they have the opportunity to fulfill their dreams? Or are they snuffed out? See, when he says everyone, he's making an assumption. He, everyone in his mind doesn't include the unborn. He didn't argue for it. He just assumed it. And this is a logical fallacy called question begging. See, and our job as pro-life Christians is to expose that assumption, bring it to recollection for them, and then bring the focus back to where it needs to be. And where is that? You guessed it. What is the unborn? Lastly, the other objection that gets trotted out is the hard case objection. This is the case of uh, rape and incest. How do we respond? Well, those cases, both rape and incest, uh, total less than 1% of all abortions. Nevertheless, we must respond with tremendous sensitivity. If this is not a hypothetical, if this is a real woman, okay, we need to love this woman like crazy. We need to come alongside her 
She doesn't need apologetic arguments at this point. She needs love, compassion, all of it, the works, okay? Because someone who is a victim of rape or incest has been violated in one of the most personal ways possible. This is abuse. It is a horrific sin that has been committed against them. But just like the woman who had no control over how, you know, the, she, the, the rape happened or the incestual relationship, you know, that, that's the definition. Rape is that you're, you're out of, you don't have the control. It's forced upon you. Just like she didn't have control, the baby in the womb also has no control over how he or she was conceived. That's why we say the baby is innocent in the womb. So we must ask this question. Why should the unborn child be killed because the father was a rapist? Adding a murder onto a rape only serves to increase the injustice. Hardship does not justify homicide. And we ought not punish the child for the sins of the father. Again, Scott Klusendorf says here, to the person who raises this objection, he will say this to them. He'll say, I'll grant you, for the sake of discussion, I'll grant you that we should keep abortion legal in cases of rape. I'll give that to you. Let's keep it legal, abort the baby. Just for the sake of discussion, okay? Now, will you join me in supporting criminalizing the vast majority of all other abortions that take place simply for the sake of convenience and comfort? Well, if the person responds, yes, you just want an ally in the fight against 99% of the abortions that happen. But the reality is, the answer you're most likely to get is no. And at that point, I think the argument smacks of, of being disingenuous, just trying to win a point in the debate by having emotional appeal on a very sensitive topic, which represents just a, a small fraction of the whole. Like I said, there's many more objections uh, to, that could be brought up. Um, some of you know I have a website called bringingtruth.com. Uh, I, I wrote out more. I basically prepared two sermons. Uh, you're getting one verbally here, and the other one I will uh, post as a blog post on my, on my website and deal with some of those other very challenging objections that come our way, like what to do when the life of the, the mother is at stake or is at risk? What do you do there? Uh, how, do you, how do you respond to the, the, the one we hear in, the, in political arenas all the time? Somebody will say, I, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I don't want to impose my view upon someone else. Or the, the burning fertility clinic. If you don't know what this hypothetical scenario of the burning fertility clinic, it's the newest, latest, you will hear it. You will hear it, and it's kind of a gotcha. So we need to know what, is a, what are good responses to these if, again, we're going to open our mouth and speak up on this very important issue. So what do we, what do, we do with all this? How are we to take this information in this sermon and apply it and defend life and do it with gentleness and respect? What do we do? Well, I would give you just one thing and then I will flesh that out. The one thing I have for you, careful, it's profound here. You ready? Do something. Do something. Let's, let's start by opening our mouth in prayer. Do we pray for this issue? I don't. I don't. I'm not praying enough. I'm not praying for those pregnant moms. I'm not praying for the fathers. I don't pray God's protection, his hand of protection on the unborn. I don't do that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm gonna, I pray for myself, my family, living water. I pray for the lost. I pray for a lot of different things. I need to pray more here. Do we play, pray for Planned Parenthood in organizations like them? Do we, do we pray for the workers inside that, that God would grant repentance what does James tell us? The prayers of a righteous person avail much. They accomplish much. Maybe this battle is, if we begin winning the battle on our knees and going to the Lord in prayer. How about when this topic does come up, that we speak up? 
that we would stand up and say something. Now, I'm not advocating for us to troop down to 2nd Street and stand out in front of Planned Parenthood and hold up signs and and yell at people. That's not what I'm advocating for. There are people that do that, but there's a whole lot of training that happens before. If you're just a hothead full of zeal going down there, lacking loving compassion for people, you just start spouting off, you're actually doing more harm than good. But there are people down there that do have the right attitude and temperament through much training, having the right words to say and having the proper materials and resources to offer people. We must use wisdom in this fight. And when speaking up, you have to recognize context, right? The when, the where, and the how. We need to be smart. So let me give you an example. It just popped into my head. I, I was at a dinner party one time. I don't know. There were six of us at the table. And uh, somebody said something on the life issue. And it went against my view. It, it's, I didn't share that perspective. And I'm, in that moment, you know how these things happen. It's like you got to come up with a, something quick. Am I going to say something? Am I going to let it go? Well, I let it go. And you know what? That was the right move. Because if I, you know, a nice polite party, somebody says something, and then I spout off, forks drop, and, you know, next thing you know, the dinner's ruined. And, yeah, we got to be smart, okay? But here's what I didn't do. I have access to that person. I, I can reach them. I, have, I got their contact information. I could have afterwards, eh, a day later, a week later, hey, remember at dinner you said that one thing? Um, can, I, can I buy you lunch and we talk about it? Um, I just have a few questions for you. I, I honestly don't share your, your perspective. Are you willing to engage in some friendly discussion? Something like that? That's using wisdom. But there is, don't let this, this point uh, escape you. There is a time to speak up, though. There are tangible things that we can do. We can come alongside a pregnant mom. We can, we can walk with her. We can, we can lighten her load, babysit her other kids if she has any, talk with her, encourage her, give her ride, uh, a ride to appointments, provide support, whatever that should look like. Maybe God is calling you to adoption like some in our church family. I guarantee you, there's people watching right now, this this issue is important to them. And they're like, yeah, okay, you're kind of going through this kind of cerebral, you know, argumentation, kind of cognitive type sermon of reasoning and things like that. But their heart breaks for the unborn. And they said, we're gonna adopt a child. We have those people in our church family. Maybe God is calling you to that. Maybe Maybe that's how you speak up. You say, I would like to adopt that's opening up your mouth. You, you could support a local crisis pregnancy center like Morningstar. We love Morningstar. We support Morningstar. We have a nice relationship with them. We have people part of Living Water that are on staff there. We have volunteers there. They're looking for volunteers. I just got an email this, this past week asking for more volunteers. Give financially if you're in a position to do so. The point is do something. Do something. Because I think there's a major obstacle when it comes to this issue and all important issues. And it's a very, very ugly word. It's true for you and it's true for me. We all got it. We're infected with it. It's called selfishness. We're just too busy. We got too much going on. You know, and it it could be argued that selfishness is what's behind the millions upon millions of aborted babies every single year, but it could easily be argued the same way that on the other side, it's selfishness that limits our effectiveness in stopping it. We're just too busy. We got too much going on. Many of you are just like me. You're married, you got kids, you got a home, you got to clean it, you got a full-time job, you you got laundry to do, you got to make meals, doctor appointments, dentist appointments, shopping. Uh, We we enjoy a little entertainment, don't we, right? And, 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 And we need time for rest. This is the sum total of our lives. That's your life. I know it because you're human like me, right? This is my life. But the problem is, Doing something about the issue of abortion, you know where it is? It's down here. And all that other stuff is up here. True? I mean, this is, this is what's happening is, is we're busy doing all these things. And that's why the phrase, I've always wanted to, exists. We're talking about the stuff down here. 
bucket list. What is it? It's down here. It's not the stuff that I just mentioned that we're doing all the time, day after day. This is our lives. We, we go to work. You know, you come home, you're tired, you plop down and watch a screen like I do. Uh, you get enough energy to do a load of laundry. Then you make dinner. Perhaps you run an errand. Days go by. Work, eat, sleep, time with friends, watch some Netflix or some stupid YouTube video of cats playing with yarn. And then you realize, uh-oh, more laundry's piled up. The house is dirty again because I got kids. And back to the front you go, rinse and repeat. This is our lives. But we never get down here. We never get to this. Meanwhile, babies are being crushed in the womb and their little body parts are being vacuumed out and placed on a tray. That's the reality. What needs to happen is we need to intentionally reach in down here on the do something about the life issue, pull it out and insert it up here. Until you do that, you won't do anything. You'll be like me, barely doing anything. And you know what's happening here? Again, things are just popping into my mind that I, that I will share with you. Uh, preaching, I love it and hate it at the same time, okay? I'm nervous, I'm sweating, uh, I've, I have not slept, I've cried more in the last two weeks than I have in the last two decades over this issue. But I'm standing up here and I'm putting myself out there for people to send me emails, Mike, I didn't like it, I disagree with you. I welcome those, by the way. Mike B at livingwatercc.com. I'm not looking to argue. I would love to talk with you and, pers and persuade you. I do think I'm right. I know that sounds arrogant nowadays, but I do think I'm right. If you do not agree, let's talk, okay? People, not Christians, people can't do that nowadays. I'm willing to do that. Let me get back to what I was just saying. I'm standing up here doing what? Opening my mouth. And I hope and I pray that it's received well. I do, like I prayed. I don't, Pastor Ben is, I'll never be as eloquent as him. Pastor Mike is gifted in too many areas to even name. I can't, I'll never compete with that. I, these guys have, I, but I care deeply. And I love living water, but I also love babies, okay? So I'm opening my mouth to defend life. So uh, I wanna pray later, but um, we do need to pray. And I know this is going long, uh, but I, I want to play a song for you, okay? I want to play a song. It's a video. It's a song called Fight for the Children. It's by a group called Christcentric. Uh, if you like rap music, you're a hip-hop head, Christcentric. If you're a Christian, I love them. Check them out, okay? You're going to see a video here uh, shortly. But the song's inspiration comes from the events that took place three years ago in a town called Germantown, Maryland. You may have heard the story. It made national news. Back in 2017, there was an infamous Dr. Leroy Carhart. Uh, he's one of only a few late-term abortionists. And he uh, was practicing there in Germantown, Maryland. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Carhart and what he was doing, I want to show you what I found online. Okay, this is, this is out there. It's a pamphlet that's from his website, I took a screenshot of it. This is page seven of a PDF that can be found on abortions, abortionclinics.org. And just brace yourself. I know it's hard to read. Let me read it to you. Under remembrances and special requests, the highlighted portion there says, once the process of healing has begun, you may want to consider a token of the precious time with you and your baby had together. They use the word baby. All of these features of our program will be discussed with you while you're with us. Under services after your delivery. Viewing your baby after the delivery. Holding your baby after the delivery. Photographs of your baby. Cremation services referral. Funeral arrangements referral. Footprints, spiritual and ceremonial accommodations, remembrance certificate, and take it all home in a little box with the fuzzy duck included. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I saw this on my laptop 
at my kitchen table at five o'clock in the morning and I put my head in my hands and I wept. I, it hurt. It hurt. And in and, and that same morning, I saw a picture of Dr. Carhart in his kitchen and next to him was a placard. And the placard said this, even on my worst days, I'm killing it. This unabashed, unashamed doctor operated this abortion facility in Germantown, Maryland, and it caught the attention of a lot of pro-life people. They did second and third trimester abortions there. For seven years, groups like the Maryland Coalition for Life, they, they would stand outside his facility and lovingly protest, lovingly pray, lovingly uh, do what's called sidewalk counseling, and, 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 and provide uh, help, really, to the would-be clients. And after seven years of faithful prayers and peaceful protests, on September 27, 2017, the Maryland Coalition for Life purchased that very property in Germantown where he was practicing and bought it right out from under him and shut him down. And they ran him out of town. A major win for the pro-life movement. So his office shut down, and so that, what that means, the only thing that was available in that neighborhood was right across the street, which was a property also owned by pro-life people called Germantown Pregnancy Choices, where they offered help to people that came in the form of education, compassionate counseling, prayer, and much-needed free resources so moms could choose life instead of death for their child. And this song, Fight for the Children, was birthed, pun intended, out of the events that happened in 2017 in Germantown. Let's check it out. is more than a song, a lot is at stake. There's little lives, so we strive not for argument's sake. Pro-life, pro-choice, there is some division like it's anyone's decision. But these little ones are living, it's so much more than volition, it's more than religion. But a smorgasbord for the more a morbid tradition, listen. One side is contrived in the first place You're not alive till you arrive at your birth date Minimize to desensitize, that's the aim Little lies to epitomize the masquerade Jeremiah 2017, it's right to assume To kill in the womb means life in the womb It's not throw the baby out with the bathwater It's throw the baby out before it hits the bathwater This is death's delivery, transporter Plant torture and put on a camcorder Always see it's manslaughter Fight for the rights of the children It's a life, their plight It's a kill We fight for the rights of the children. They are children. We fight for the rights of the children. It's a life, their plight. It's to kill them. They are children. So we fight for the rights of the children. They are children. Late-term abortion's painless, which is far from fact. They say the smartest act is to induce a heart attack. You should cringe. They put a syringe inside. Is the advice? Cause if it's delivered alive, then it has rights The docs commend they don't remain intact But it's documented that their pain is fact This is such a heinous act, it's more love than Wimbledon With their dismemberment Tearing the limbs from within them that resemble them Little fingers, little eyes, even little toes They even have a little nose These killers make so little know About their little extremities so when they're killed, you think it's just a little sex remedy Little body pieces, tossed in sanitation 
terminologies get lost in translation. It's a child, not old. There is a fetus, so we can toss it out like an old pair of Adidas. Those arrogant leaders, distortion, a plot of acceptance. Abortion is a condescension, worse than contraception. That's to prevent pregnancy. Abortion is killing it. It's infancy. Fight for the right of the children. It's a life, their plight. It's a kill. The bad news is that uh, Dr. Leroy Carhart is back in Maryland, this time in Bethesda, still conducting his late-term abortions. The fight continues. And until Jesus returns and sets things straight, we must continue to fight for the rights of the children. What role will you play in defending life? Let's pray. creator of life, Lord, we come to you grieving the loss of so many little babies in the womb. This is hard to reckon with. As you know, my heart has been broken and many tears have been shed over the last few days. Thank you for allowing us to see the atrocity that this is. May our grief lead us to action somehow, that we would be obedient to your word and open our mouth to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You care so deeply for the needy, the destitute, those who are helpless. And you've called us, your people, to not be silent, to not sit idly by while we as a society massacre innocent life in the womb for the sake of convenience and comfort in the name of choice and bodily autonomy. You are the one who gave us these bodies, fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb. And we don't have the right to do whatever we want with our bodies. And that includes keeping our mouths shut on this issue. Let us not be cowards. Let us not be so wrapped up in the day-to-day minutia that is our lives that we would do what your word says to rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We need you to work that in us. Please, Lord, for your sake and for the sake of these little ones, I pray. Amen.